This is the American Military Brit. Shedding light on the realities of military life. Now, here's your host, U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Christopher Clark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Military Brit Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk to different military members to figure out the full story about the military, and we don't just focus on the rumors, such as the Marines being crazy or the Army being stupid. We actually figure out from the people themselves what the story is with the military. So I hope you enjoy this podcast that we have for you today. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another Outtake episode of the American Military Brit podcast. This is Outtakes episode three, and this time we're going to begin with Aaron. Now, I discussed with Aaron talking about how the military to civilian, civilian to military links together and kind of how that worked for him. So he talks about his family is a military family, and for a lot of people, that is the case. Um, for me, my dad was in the Air Force, so that's there's a link there. But also, just with people in general, they will have you know parents, grandparents, who whatever the case may be, cousins, brothers, sisters who are in the military, and they follow in those footsteps, and that prepares them for the military, that prepares them for transitions and things like that. So here's Aaron talking a little bit about that. Yeah, and can I just ask, like, I was looking at, I was looking through your stuff, and it looks like you've got uh, a lot of things going for you, basically, like you've done a lot of things. How much would you say that your service in the Navy prepared you to do that stuff? Or was it just kind of like you got out and you just went for it? You know, when you grow up in a military family, my father, my grandfather was a decorated World War II Army Air Force veteran. And, um, you know, he, he shared his stories. It seemed like Every day, you know, he'd always share stories in the magazine cutouts and all that, and they were still recognizing them years later. So growing up with that, and my dad was a Vietnam vet. My uncle was a, was a Navy Vietnam vet. My dad was a Marine. So when you grow up in that, and all my uncles, my grandfather's brothers, great uncles were all military. So, you know, out the gate, I didn't have that as a kid living in L.A., single mom, and, and you know, I wasn't around that. So when I went to go there in high school, um, that's pretty much all I knew, you know, outside of playing sports. So when you have that base that, that is there and, and it's always being brought up, going to the VFW, working the bingo, you know, Friday night bingo night games. And, you know, you just start to get acclimated and, and understand the brother and sisterhood of veterans. And, um, you know, before you know it, and, and we did a lot of give backs on flag day. We, we, we put up flags at the courthouse with all the um, uh, killed in action vets from our county. And so little by little, you start to appreciate you know, um, the military a lot more and you really, um, can't wait to serve. You know, right. I wanted to leave my junior year and go to boot camp, and obviously I couldn't, but so that is, um, I was well prepared before I went to boot camp. Unlike a lot of people, we know they have a rude awakening when they go, they're not used to having to clean up after themselves, right? They've been enabled. Um, I was, I was already, you know, light years ahead of a lot of my, you know, uh, classmates in boot camp because of the way I was raised. Yeah. Okay, folks, let me tell you a little bit about um, Open General, right? So when you enter as Open General, you come in with the understanding of the Air Force is going to give you whatever job they see fit, basically, whatever that job they need help in, pretty much. And Lucretia talked about this in her podcast episode and 
Um, it kind of brought back memories of me in basic training, kind of speaking to people, asking them, because I knew my job was intelligence, and I'd ask people, like, oh, what are you doing? Where are you going? And they literally were just like, I don't know. <laughs> I, went, I came in open general, and I was thinking, well, what's open general? Because I'd never even heard of that until, and, until then. And I believe it was in basic training, one of the weeks, the maybe mid to late weeks, where they actually found out a bunch of them went to a place and, and got... I think it was just in like an envelope and a letter or something, just telling them what they got selected for. So that was what happened, how it happened in basic training. But uh, yeah, Open General's an interesting one. I did not go in myself, never really thought about taking that choice. But uh, me and uh, Lucretia, we talk about this in the in the next clip here. Yeah, for <laughs> just to talk on Open General, yeah. and that's, that's funny that you brought that up because I never even thought of that until now but uh we had a couple of guys in our in our flight who did open general and they got like security forces oh, and yeah. maintenance and because those are the two career fields where they just need anybody basically. yes absolutely yeah. those are the career fields that are most intensive mm -hmm. um they require the most physical manual labor yeah. um and people drop out of them really quick like your body either gives out or mentally like you it's not very sustainable long term. It takes a certain type of person. Yeah. Thank goodness for me. I don't know what kind of angels I had watching over <laughs> me, but um, I ended up in the medical field um, and I did that active duty for over 10 years before I decided like, well, I didn't. Okay. So I didn't necessarily decide. The Air Force was like, you could become a flight medic, like mm -hmm. in the flight surgeon's office doing um, physicals and that sort of thing for the pilots and the air crew. So mm -hmm. not being a medic in the, that's a different career field. Right. That would have been cool. Yeah. No, they were not offering that. They were offering me to go do physicals. Um, and I was like, mm, this is a, a turning point for me. So I can either decide like to go with that or do what I wanted to do and use my benefits, my GI bill to go back to school and do what I wanted to do, which was communications and people kind of looked at me funny because mm. I had so much experience in the medical field. All I have spent 10 plus years in the medical field. Why wouldn't you go into nursing? Why wouldn't you go be a nurse? Yeah. You had, I have my associate's degree, my yeah. um, CCAF. The CCAF, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, that was ideal, I guess. But I just couldn't see myself working in a hospital for another how yeah. long, 40 plus years, yeah. <laughs> or however long I was going to be working. So um, I just did what I wanted to do and went into communications and cross-trained into the guard and yeah. into public affairs. So when I talk about public affairs or communications or journalism, it's because it's like what I wanted to do. Let's move on to a clip of Tamiya talking about Reserve Officer Training Corps, or ROTC as it's called. This one, I mean, it's a little more than a clip. It's like five minutes long, but uh, this is an interesting one because I didn't know anything about ROTC. Honestly, I'd heard about it, but I'd never actually really spoken to anyone about it. And obviously with Tamiya, it's a little different because she went through that versus everybody else on this podcast who went through basic training um, in you know their specific branch. But she went through Army, ROTC, and it was interesting just to listen to her talk about the differences between, you know, she still went to basic training and all that stuff. And I talk about that in here, but but it was just interesting to hear how the experience was different coming to UNLV and being an ROTC. So here's to me. 
can I just I'm, I'm going to take it back here so like uh, basic training and, and tech school and stuff like that so do you have you know you said you have the guys yelling at you and stuff are they like do they have like the hats on are they like oh full uniforms everybody uh, yes training and stuff okay yeah mm-hmm. so you have that was there somewhere that you specifically went for basic training yes Fort Lewis Washington okay, mm-hmm. okay so you went there and how long was that training I think it was several weeks because it was during the summer. So I, I can't remember the time frame, but it was several weeks for our basic. Okay. And then you go from there to – then you go to learn your job, which – Oh, well, I learned my job after commissioning. You, oh, they didn't yeah, send okay. you to your specialty school until commissioning. So I got commissioned in 1987, and my specialty school, my tech school was – uh, for military police. So mm-hmm. I got the branch I wanted. Mm-hmm. I definitely wanted military police. I knew that because uh, my de- degree was criminal justice. I knew that I was going to be a police officer. Right. I knew that. And I say I knew that because that's part of my mindset, which is why I kind of laugh because I say I don't remember how I ended up getting right. an ROTC. But part of my mindset is because when I got an ROTC, I had no idea that the option for being a military police was even there, you right. know, but went through my training and all that kind of stuff. And of course, our testing and stuff like that. Military police was the natural thing for me, and I really enjoyed it. So I went to Fort McClellan, Alabama for that training Mm -hmm. and actually just saw a notification where they said if you were at Fort McClellan between these dates and this date, you need to get a hold of the VA because there was something we were exposed to. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. So I got to follow up on that. But, um, yeah, I was there during those dates that they mentioned there. But, yeah, so I was at Fort McClellan. I think that was six, wait, four months I can't remember how long my training school was. That's horrible, isn't it? Uh, but I do remember the experience itself. It was it was definitely because military police, you know, the role of any SP, you know, any policing within the military services. You know, we are the police force. You know, we are the corrections. We are the you know, I mean, all those those functions. So I was able to learn that, which was amazing to be able to do that. And then when I came back um, as a Reservist, that was also my specialist. We had, uh, we actually have a guard unit. I think we still have it. it was the 72nd MP, you know, 72nd MP Corps uh, right. here in Nevada. And I was initially a part of that during ROTC. So, so, so not only, so like I was talking about ROTC, not only were, in, were we in class, you know, getting the training, you know, we were also mandated weekend. Every weekend we had something. We had annual training. And then we also had service with uh, either the National Guard or the, um, the National Guard. I think all our options were the National Guard, but not everybody opted to do it. You didn't have to as part of your ROTC training. You didn't have to. It wasn't a mandate mm-hmm. for you to, to go in the National Guard and be, you know, learn to be that citizen soldier kind of thing first. Okay. And then um, also in, in basic training and like tech school and stuff, are you do they mix uh, men and women together? Because I know some people have given me different answers for this. During um, the time I was in, because you're talking 19... 19- 88, uh, yes, it was integrated. There were men and women in my class. Okay. And my basic, you know what, that's interesting, my basic, I'm trying to think, there had to be men and women, but I know we were barracked, you know, billeted and barracked, barracked, in the barracks. In the barracks, yeah. Uh Together as um, as same sex, you know, same sexes. So there was like a... a, um, you know, women and, and men. But when I, and even when I look back at my pictures, there's always men and women. So I, I don't ever remember being trained specifically women, specifically men. Okay, because I, I wonder if that's an officer thing, because I swear, like, um, enlisted army people are telling me, like, it's like 
a different spot that they that they go to or whatever because we had we had our dorm and like you said in the in the barracks that we had a sister flight they were called so we'd go like everywhere pretty much with them we'd be in class with them like we'd be on this side they'd be on this side and really not in like not in the class together we were in the class together yeah but separated. But like we were on, we were in the chair. There was a bunch of chairs on this side. There was a bunch of chairs on this side. Mm -hmm. So we were there. They were there. Yeah. No, because I'm even looking. I'm brief because I'm a visual person. I'm looking back at my pictures that I took during my um, my MP training, and it was men and female. So maybe it is different for officers. I don't know. It was it mm. was integrated. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, and then. You you touched on Hawaii. That was your first assignment. That was my, no no. That was my um, my my leadership training assignment. Okay. So so that's where you go and they evaluate you as a as a leader as an officer. You know if they're going to commission you or not. So okay. that was my commissioning uh, training spot. Oh, I got you. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. All right. Well, we'll. And we'll, like I said, it was transportation. It wasn't actually what I ended up getting into. You know, being commissioned into. Yeah. It was just you know that. It, we didn't really get an option to go specifically to what we were looking to be commissioned into because we mm -hmm. hadn't been uh, kind of assigned that yet. But they wanted to see that you could work as a leader, you mm -hmm. know, so you were being evaluated by your captain and the major and all that stuff while you were there because you were the lieutenant. You stood up, you know, you you did uh, all the formations, you did, you know, everything, you know, you did the op orders, you did everything because you were showing that you would be able to be a good officer. This next story is absolutely hilarious. And the reason I say that is because for, for people who haven't been in and don't really know about this, like you have to realize that when you first come in as a young airman, you, anybody who has a bit of rank, you're absolutely terrified of. And in this story, Sean talks about how a major came knocking on his door and he was just, you know, drunk, which obviously Sean, you know, if you remember his podcast, we did get into the, you know, being young at tech school. And of course, you know, it was a college atmosphere. So of course you're going to indulge in a little bit of alcohol, right? But he talks about how this major came knocking on his on his door and he was rude to him and, you know, it was for a wellness inspection, which we had while I was there as well. It was just like one of those inspections to make sure no one's doing anything illegal and, and things of that nature. But uh, let's just say in tech school, it was, it was, you know, like I said, it was a college atmosphere. It would get... Uh, out of hand at times, but uh, in general, just realize that when you were a young airman, anytime you saw a bit of rank, it's just funny because you would lose your mind. And now thinking about it, it's like, why was it like that? But here's Sean talking about that stuff. 21, <laughs> doing 21 things, you know, like yeah. being cool in the service or whatever, living my life and just, you know, uh, it was like rough. And then I remember one night we had a guy, he come up banging on the door at like 2.30 in the morning. I I'm I am I am gone. Mm. I'm three sheets easy to the wind here. Mm. And this guy opens the door and he's and I'm like I'm like what do you want, dude? And it was a major. And obviously the time when you're in tech school, officers and majors and people are really above the rank of like technical sergeant. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy is like. Yeah. He's, he's like, me. he's like royalty. <laughs> this guy will end my career. <laughs> yeah. And anyways, I'm like, he's like, he, so I open the door. I'm like, what do you want, dude? And I see it's a major and he can just see the fear of God in my eyes. And he's like, <laughs> you need to get out of here now. 
And I was like, copy all. And so like, <laughs> I like get dressed and I go downstairs. Right? right. And like, I'm so intoxicated at this point after a night out at, uh, at this sports bar, I think it was Bailey's Bailey sports bar. I'm so drunk that like, I can't even stand both me and John. So we're so drunk. We can't even stand the position of attention. Cause what this actually is is a wellness inspection. Mm. Cause somebody in the dorm, there has been reports that somebody had either drugs or alcohol mm. illegally in the dorm. Right. And it was the firefighters. Cause at the time our dorms were below, uh, above yeah. the firefighters the fire before they, well. yeah, before yeah. they moved them over to the new ones. Right. And so they were raiding the fire dogs and we were collateral damage because we were above the fire dogs and they put me outside and like, I can't, they're like everybody in the position of a attention and they look at me and johnson we can't even can't even stand mm-hmm. and they're like except for you two and so like everybody is at the position of attention i'm like literally laying on my back like passing out on this on this pt pad because i'm so drunk Amazing. and so like that was just kind of like the lifestyle but obviously you know you're learning your job you don't really know what's going on you're going right. through the books and everything and so it was a breath of fresh air kind of like a you know crash crash college for like six months and then you finally get your job and you're on your way yeah it was just it's just funny you saying that story man i just remember i remember when we we had to oh it was the next day we had on the sunday when you had to come down there and report for duty and they just like took attendance (laughs) to make sure everyone was still alive you know from the weekend oh yeah and i was i swear i was still i was still drunk and i was just cursing and just like (laughs) talking just crap to everybody and everyone was just laughing at me because i was just like oh yeah and you know still drunk from the night before Eric's story is his deployment story is one of my favorites because he really gets into the dangers and talks in detail about a time that they got attacked and whatnot. But this clip here goes into a little bit more details, you know, because on his podcast episode, he talked about the CRAMs and how they would shoot down the mortars and all that stuff. And um, I'd never really saw those in action, but he kind of goes into details. He even gives some sound effects as well, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. But uh, he also talks about a story of how a guy like shot up a bunch of people and killed a bunch of people on on base. And that's the dangerous thing with these people who deploy a lot and they, you know, begin to develop mental health problems. And it appears that's what this guy um, who who did this, he had those those issues. But Eric goes into detail here about the dangers of deployments so let's listen that's crazy man because you know you hear about the c rams and how they you know do a good job of kind of shooting things oh yeah sky, dude. i guess they don't work all the time man that's crazy like just so those guys died in their sleep oh yeah yeah know? dude yeah and, it, and like i said man it, it was that was such a surreal moment man because like i said it just looked like a scene out of a movie man mm-hmm. like those those things were coming out i mean just a blazing hot red man mm-hmm. and it just looked like the little thing that come out of the star wars gun like mm-hmm. pew, 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 pew. Yeah. like like yeah yeah you know <laughs> wow that's crazy yeah because i mean <laughs> Like I said, I'd, I would have loved to have gone to Iraq or Afghanistan, yeah. but at the same time, I'm thinking, well, maybe not, to be honest. So. Yeah, yeah. And and not only that, but uh, when I was over there, I remember there was a guy over there who had, they had relieved him of his duty because he was like on his third deployment or something like that. Right. And he, he basically kind of snapped, you know what I mean? With, I mean, you know. 
to be expected after that, yeah. after that point in time. Yeah. So he didn't have a weapon or anything like that, but he always had a uh, security forces guy, a military MP with him. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, I was at the BX and I was shopping for some stuff. And I remember I hear gunshots. Now, in Iraq, that's normal. You know, the, the kind of the time that you start getting words is when you don't hear nothing. You know what I mean? So we got shot at all the time. You know, that was not a big deal or whatever. Right. So I heard the gunshots, checked out, went back to my desk like nothing happened. The TV's on and I'm looking at it and it said there's a shooting at Camp Victory. I'm like, what? I'm like, how, how did they like what? Uh, it starts it starts talking about it. They were like, there's a shooting at the, the uh, mental health facility, blah, blah, blah. And so what happened was that guy, he had a session as normal that day. Uh, he, he he left. He wrestled the gun away from his MP, went back to the clinic. He shot his the the doctor that he had the, the meeting with and he killed like eight other people in there, man. And the crazy part about it was, is that the news knew about it. And I was literally right next door to it. Like the mental health facility is right there. The BX was right next to it. And I didn't even know about it until I learned about it on the news, man. Craziness. Yeah, okay. dude. Well, well, I'm glad I just went to Jordan and <laughs> right. Tom, and the worst we had was like some crazy Saudi Arabian guy driving on the base. Yeah, yeah. He, got, he made it onto the flight line. That was it. So, Sean is back yet again with another hilarious story. This one's from from Whiteman, a story that honestly I completely forgot about because. We start off, obviously, by talking about the LOC that he had to give me, but then we get into the fact that, um, you know, we were a bit wild back then in the office, and we had all these Nerf weapons, and we would shoot each other with the little Nerf guns and all that stuff, and, like, throw things at each other in the office sometimes during, like, downtime and whatnot, but uh, it would get a little bit crazy sometimes, and eventually that was put to a stop by the, uh, I think it was by the certain major that I was mentioning in in his in his podcast but even like before that i think maybe it was stopped but um that's something that we get into here in this in this clip so enjoy to go back to you mentioned an loc um letter of counsel counsel i think is what it stands for but i want to see if do you still remember this story do you remember when you like were told to give me an loc but then you just you gave me a warning instead because I said something classified over an unclassified. Oh line. yeah, yes. I remember yeah. that. Like I, <laughs> I remember you said it, and I was, I just kind of was like, "What did you just say?" Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're like, "Oh, it was bad." Yeah. And they were like, "You need to do this," and I was like, "Well, I was like, look, it wasn't that big a deal, like mm. first time." So I was like, "I'm not gonna do yeah. that." Yeah, and I'm, I'm a brand new it. airman as yeah. well, so I'm like on the verge of crying. <laughs> I'm thinking. Oh, I've screwed my career up already, <laughs> and I just got here. Yes, so. I'm back to door-to-door yeah. charity work. Yeah, <laughs> it was just, it was no. horrible, but that's funny, man. I was just, I was hoping you'd remember that story. Yeah, that I remember, I re- there were two, there was two, because there was that one, and I'll never forget the time um, that we had the airman, um, you remember, uh, if you remember him throwing the ball that ball into uh, the captain's chili that time. Yes. Yeah, yes. I I remember distinctly they were having a, a little bit of a ruckus, having a lot of fun, and the next thing I know, this kid, this kid just goes in and commits absolute career suicide. <laughs> 
throws his ball, this like Nerf ball at this guy to get him back. This the the officer is at his desk eating beef stew and like rice or something. You know, something with a thick gravy, oh, and he right. throws it on this guy, and it just explodes. This gravy just explodes all over his, uh, all over his uniform, and all I hear is. Peaches! like at the top of his lungs and he's like get in here and he's like you better get control of this airman or i'm gonna get control of him for you and i was like oh my god i was like what did you do i was like what an idiot uh good times good times when you get out of the air force or separate from the air force there's factors that come into play in making your decision for me it was pretty easy just because it was a decision for me only it was just what do i want to do and i wanted to get out but with moses he talks about in this clip um well he kind of talked about it in his podcast kind of before this clip he was talking about his son and how that's factored in financially to keep him in the air force but like that's that's one problem that I didn't have to deal with and he, he talks about how I'm rich because I don't have any kids and th this is something that my sisters always say as well they're just like oh you're so rich because you don't have any kids and it's like well life is still expensive anyway we kind of talk about these things and what factors into you separating and all that stuff so here's Moses talking about that um, yeah. so it's all financial pretty much I, there's still certain aspects of the military I love, and if I were to get out, I'd be really sad. But there are more things that are stressing me out, and I'm just putting up with it. Well, yeah, I can tell you, man. Uh, one thing that I definitely miss, especially being a college student, is the money you know that oh, I used to get when I yeah. was in the military. So that's like one thing. Like you always say, oh, oh Chris, you're rich. Well, you are it. rich. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not, no, no, trust me. Like compared to the money that I used to have, like say back in 2019 no. when I was still in, not even close, man. The way I see it, not you're, you're single, you have no obligations, you've been yeah. saving all your life. Mm -hmm. you're, you're English, so you already don't have good food choices, so you probably don't eat much. Uh, let's do. see, I you eat. get use the GI Bill, you're a reservist, you also have a job downtown, you're, you're rich. Well, yeah, the reason this guy <laughs> says that is because I'm single, I don't have any kids, that's why he's saying that, <laughs> yeah. So I had, like when I got out, I had the freedom of choice to be like, you know, I'm just thinking about me, right? Mm -hmm. But like you said, you've got a wife, you've got a child now, so it's a little <laughs> different in that case, isn't it? So... Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, I guess you're, you're at what, 12 years now? I'm at 12 years. Okay. So you just got another eight or to actually, go. So 11 and a half, but the, I see the, it as 12. Yeah. I yeah. see it as 12. Close enough. Yeah. So, but, uh, wait, you've got 12 years left or you've been in 12 years. You've I've been, been in 12, 12 years. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so yeah, like you've, I mean, you're, you're almost there after you don't know where you're going after Nellis. You don't, do you think you'll stay here like longer or are you just gonna do the four years or whatever here and then you're gone <laughs> it's indefinite now okay so we'll see okay <laughs> yeah i'm still adjusting in las vegas it's it's a lot to take in okay yeah well we'll see what the future holds for you okay let's finish off here with 
having a clip here from Josh talking about what he plans to do after the military and things of that nature. He actually gets into talking about his, you know, he's a disabled veteran now and, and all those kind of things and just kind of talks about his plans after and being an entrepreneur and starting his business and just overall helping people out and trying to give back to the world that helped him out essentially. And I think it's very admirable, the stuff that he's talking about. And it's a very interesting thing that he's doing. You know, he went to college. Now he's doing his whole business thing. And um, I honestly hope for the best of luck for him. I, th I hope he does well and I hope he succeeds in his business. So here's Josh talking about that. And then just that was literally the moment where I was like, all right, I will go to school, get a degree and then go into a different agency. But unfortunately, I am now a disabled veteran. I'm 90% disabled. Mm. Uh, like my back and my hips have problems and issues and stuff. But I mean, they were going to happen eventually. It's just the military made it happen quicker. Right. So the way I've gotten around that is just yoga, you know. And that's actually something I wish I would have known going into the military is how to discipline and hold like asanas, like stress yourself out and learn how to relax and breathe. Right. Because I think I would have made it a lot further and been a lot more gentle on my body if I would have had that gentle approach instead of the Marine Corps, like yep. pound it in, yep. get the <laughs> get the peg in. Sir, that's a round hole. This square will fit in. <laughs> but that's the Marine Corps yeah. attitude. Um, but yeah. I just wanted to grow and learn. That is about it. That's hilarious, man. But uh, like, obviously, you're do you're an entrepreneur and all that now. Like, what is the what is the like ultimate goal now that you've separated? Like, what is your what is your ambitions in life right now? To make money. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie about that. Yeah. But the reason why I want to make money is to start projects, um, nonprofits, stuff like that. Okay. Um, I don't know. I want to do like veterans with furniture where we get people who have way too much money and just have their, you know, a stain on their couch. Like, oh man, this furniture is no good. Let's just buy the new seasons. Mm -hmm. It's going to go to waste anyway. Right. So why not take it in and then give it to a veteran that can use it or someone with a, of low community status, like social, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to help people. That's why I joined the military. That's why I went to college inadvertently is to learn how to help people um, because literally I just, I grew up being helped out by society. So just pay it forward, pay it back. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the American Military Brit, the outtakes. We're going to have more outtake episodes coming. So be sure to tune in and listen to all the different things that I unfortunately had to cut out of the different podcasts. So tune in for that to hear some more great content. So thank you for listening and goodbye for now. <laughs>